0: Hi and welcome again to the First Year Experience Podcast. I'm Dr. Jose Saldivar, joined once again by
1: Cindy Saldivar.
0: And uh, our guest today is
1: Dr. Megan Burke.
0: Dr. Burke, thank you for joining us today. It's a
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So today we are going to talk about food. I think uh, it's one of my favorite four-letter words. (laughs) I I always, I, I grew up in a I grew up with my grandmother, and my grandmother spoke Spanish. And I always tell my students, I didn't speak any Spanish. The little Spanish that I knew at at the time was food. It was all food-related, so I could speak to my grandmother about food in Spanish and nothing else. So, you know, food, I think we have this unique connection, certainly cultural and familial kind of thing. But today, I, I invited Dr. Burke to join us today because... As a faculty member, I received an email um, from the food pantry. So the university, those of you who are familiar with UTRGB, are, should know, and if you don't, I, I, uh, I'd, I'd hope you you do after this podcast, that we have a food pantry on campus. Uh, I'd learned about the food pantry a couple of years ago, I think when it started, but I wasn't aware of the need for food for our students. And about two years ago, I had a student in my class and just very openly kind of towards the end of class said that he didn't think he was going to have any food for the week he was living in an apartment off campus he was living with his brother and neither one of them was working their financial aid had run out uh, the additional monies they'd gotten and the student came to my office afterwards Uh, I gave the student some money so that he could buy some food but I began to wonder how how serious, how prevalent of a, of a problem or an issue is this? And how do we get, how did we get here? You know, I, I've been a faculty member with UTRGV and prior to that with UTPA since 2002. And it, this was at least, and, and maybe I was naive, or maybe I just didn't hear it, but this was the first time a student came to me and openly admitted to not having access to food. How do we, how did we get here?
1: It's one of the things that we talk about in the food history class because a lot of food is policy and a lot of policy is food related and it gives students an opportunity to express viewpoints and positions, experiences that they've had with food, sometimes not having enough food. Um, it's been a long, a longstanding problem. Um, you can go back through at least U.S. history and find a substantial uh, subsection of the population who is underfed. So we're not talking about people with completely empty cupboards, but we are talking about people who go to bed hungry, uh, children who go to bed hungry especially, um, children who come to school hungry and become kind of accustomed to that. And one of the things that, especially during the 1940s and 50s, that happened in the U.S. was the school lunch program, which was a very targeted way to try to get at this idea that Uh, while people might not be interested in feeding a family uh, for various reasons that have to do with uh, political persuasion and handouts, they were invested in feeding children. And so that program, although it's ebbed and flowed over time, it's something that can help compensate for hunger in households. But one of the things we find on our campus is that obviously our students have aged out of that. There is no specifically targeted program for people in a university setting. And so it's up to universities like ours has to try to uh, absorb that need in some way, um, especially since we have students here whose families are maybe not eligible for certain types of other public benefits. Yeah. Um, the SNAP program or food stamp program, as some people may recognize it, uh, has undergone an enormous amount of cuts in the last six to eight to 10 years. And that has affected it all the way down the line. It affects children. It affects the elderly, um, but it affects young adults who will sometimes give up food in favor of sharing it with other family members, and may just not have the access to resources that sometimes those programs, like school lunch programs, help with.
0: So, I, I think you bring up a good point, and and I feel like I just I just feel incredibly naive. I think, and, and I say that because. You know, my job is I come in and I tell students about the routine of school and how their their time was fixed. They knew exactly where they needed to be at specific times of the day. They knew when they were going to eat. They knew when they were going to have exercise. They knew when they were going to socialize. And I always remind them that's taken away, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're much more responsible. You've got to dig, figure out when I'm going to take class, when I should go to class, when should I exercise. But I forget that, you know, for... Um, most of their lives they could count on a meal and almost you know like clockwork count on two meals a day through the school lunch program
1: breakfast and lunch
0: yeah and so to to see that or I think like I said I I don't know if I was just naive to it just as that routine was taken away well so was the food that was a part of that
1: yeah and I think there, there are two other things one of which is valley specific in some ways We are surrounded by food, and we are surrounded by healthy food. The Valley is a producer of things like cabbage and broccoli and citrus, things that are good for us. But those things also tend to be more expensive. The food subsidy program in the United States has long been designed to subsidize and make cheaper things that are not healthy for us. So the Federal Subsidies Program tackles things like soy and corn. And so sometimes we find people, and this is true of students, especially as they're trying to figure out nutritional boundaries, it's really difficult because the most affordable food is also some of the food that is the least nutritious,
0: mm.
1: but that also means it's the least filling.
0: Yeah.
1: So you might be getting something to eat. It might be carb-heavy because that's cheap. It might be sugar heavy because that's cheaper. And you might also not have the tools to do cooking. Cooking tends to equal healthier food. Uh, We can do things like fry an egg. You know, eggs are fairly cheap, but you have to have the means to cook the egg. And that's a part of it that gets left out too, is that if I don't have the means at home, if I'm living in my car, which I know some of our students do for periods of time during the school year, there's no way to fix a fresh vegetable. There's no way to fix an egg that has protein and will help you feel full. There is only a way to get these kind of cheaper food products that also tend to be less healthy. So, um, I, you know, when you told the story about the student not having any food, I've had a couple students over my time here, um, and it came up again last year. We had somebody who uh, happened to grab a bag, it was a student who grabbed a full bag of chips after an office event. And somebody kind of commented, like, ah, you know, that was sort of rude. And I stopped them and I said, oh, no, 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 I've had that student in class. I know full well that that student doesn't get enough to eat. So you're going to let that bag of chips go and we're not going to have (laughs) this conversation anymore because that may be somebody's, you know, next couple of days, that's really all they're getting. So it's odd to be surrounded by the bounty that the valley produces. You know, we've got students whose family members are working in those fields. Some of our students worked in those fields. Yeah. And it, it's hard to make the connection between what's affordable and what I can fix and what we grow locally. It's, yeah. it's a tough, It's a tough thing to try to rationalize and kind of wrap our heads around, I think.
0: Well, and even just i i've see, I've seen the memes right there have been memes about uh on like thanksgiving who should you be thank- who should be you giving be giving thanks to right and it's got maybe a picture of farm workers who pick you know the pick yeah. the, 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 the fruit and the vegetables and you you know for me again and again i know i i know students i I met with a student this morning who who said he was a migrant farm worker parents were migrant farm workers. And to just not under not fully understand, like they just not everybody has access to good food, mm-hmm. and why why do we take that for granted? Like how how do we get to this point where I think we just take it for granted that everybody has access, especially here in the valley, because you're right, we're surrounded by it, and. I don't know, I, certainly as a faculty member, after that student asked me, or, or just admitted that they didn't have enough food, I think about that more all the time. And so I, I've got a young man who comes in to see me a handful of times during the semester, and I know he doesn't get enough to eat. And so every time he comes by, I always ask him, have you eaten yet? And I offer him food. I'm always thinking about that now. I, you know, It's something that, that, I, that I have to think about as I do, as I work with my students. But how do we, I mean, I don't know. We just don't, we just take it for granted.
1: I think it's because it's such a basic need, right? Like you need to eat to survive. So I think it's just, we assume that everybody is getting what they need to survive. It's something that you don't think about, like the air we breathe. So we assume everybody's eating. And it's something that can easily be taken for granted without even thinking about it. Yeah, it's also a tricky thing because I think sometimes people focus on food-related problems that are obesity, for example, or diabetes, and people assume that that is a problem of eating too much, that, that that's sort of a self-imposed problem. If somebody is morbidly obese, if somebody has diabetes, that might be something they brought on themselves, but the truth is that both of both of those things can also be a product of not having enough to eat. Because when your diet consists of the wrong things, because that's all you can afford, sometimes instead of being that kind of visible thing where somebody is starving and you can see it, you know, things we see on TV that happen in other countries, in fact, some of our shortage problem or the fact that it's not kind of dispensed evenly is evident in the fact that there are people in the United States who are too heavy and unhealthy, and dealing with different, it's different symptoms, yeah. um, we have a plentitude of things that are the wrong things a lot of times, um, and so I've, I've noticed that people respond that way, They they think that they're seeing somebody who has too much of something, when actually Sometimes you can be looking at something that tells you that this person does not have enough access to good things that are healthy, um, that are you know feeding your body in a way that's productive.
0: Yeah. No, I, and I, yeah, I certainly see that, and I think, I think yeah, we tend to to view these 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 folks, these people, when we see anybody with, like you said, with diabetes, with with uh, illnesses or things related to. Obesity, we tend to see them as gluttonous, Mm -hmm. right? They, they, these are people that are just partaking too much, right? They have too much of a good thing, but not really ever being critical or even thinking about what are they eating, right? And what do they have access to? What are they not eating that maybe would, would change their diet, would change, you know, their their health? Um, As faculty, right, as people that work. With students every day on a daily basis, how do you approach it? How do you? How do you? You know, because I, you know, I don't know that we, we want to call attention to students, right? But how do we? How do you approach it in your classroom? And
1: I almost always have food as part of my curriculum I, outside of the food history class, which obviously is a very targeted <laughs> food-specific subject. I talk about food throughout every single class I teach. Um, because as it turns out there are a lot of reasons why we eat the things we eat and we have access to the things we have access to and there are long standing kind of institutional shortages and access problems that you know predate modern US history they they're, they're long standing problems where some people have plenty and some people do not have enough and so you can talk about lots of different themes in terms of U.S. policy and problems that have to do with food. So sometimes I use it because it's a way that everybody can relate to it. Um, But I also try hard to think about students who come to my class really tired. Just as an example, um, I try not to be, I don't know, overly aggressive about students who are falling asleep in my class. I'll usually go up, try to be quiet about it, and just urge them to wake up. Sometimes that's a student being rude, sure. Sometimes it's a student who is hungry and it's two o'clock and they haven't had anything to eat yet today. Sometimes it's a student who didn't have a place to sleep the night before or had to sleep on somebody's floor or somebody's couch. And if you are aware that our students, just generally, some of them are experiencing some of these problems, I think that you will be more respectful sometimes and Find different ways to solve a problem like a student missing class or a student sleeping in class. It's not always about you. Yeah. It's not always a reflection of me. So it doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't yeah. have anything to do with the class. It has to do with things that are happening that are out of my control. And now that we have resources on campus, things like the food bank, the RGV has a massive food bank of its own. So if it, is, if it goes beyond a problem that's just the student and it has to do with that student's family, we can help direct them to different resources that might help cover more people in the household than just them. Um, You know, there there are things, I think, if we're just willing to be a little more more investigative, a little, uh, an open ear, you know, like you said, somebody come into your office, you know that person. Um, Some of that personal accountability, that personal connection that we build with students can help them you know, we might not be able to provide them with every meal, but we may be able to let them know that we understand we're here to at least provide a listening ear, if nothing else, and that we still want them to succeed here, and we don't want some of these other pitfalls to get in the way of their success yes. here when they come to us.
0: Do you think, you know, you in the the circles that you run with and the faculty members that you associate with, faculty members, do you know does the conversation come up often? Do, you know, I, because I feel like, like I said, I was here for twelve years before I before I became aware because it kind of hit me in the face. Do you think faculty members are, you know, just as I think you characterize it as investigative enough to that they're aware of it?
1: I'm not sure. Uh, I'm in a I'm in a different spot since I talk about food a lot, um, so sometimes that comes up. I think. Different conversations need to happen more. I think the food conversation should probably happen more than it does. I think the housing situation a lot of our students are in should come up more. Um, We were talking the other day about access to sanitary products. Um, It's one of the things you don't really think about. Those are extremely expensive, actually, and to not have access to them means sometimes people don't come to campus because they feel self-conscious about it. There are these things that we take for granted that some of our students just don't have, and I think that should be—I think it should be a bigger deal for faculty than it is. Um, I think it all of those things kind of tie in together. We want them to come here, you know. We're asking them, some of them, to take out financial aid to be here, and they're doing those things. Uh, you know, the university sometimes asks us to think about how expensive textbooks are, so some of us take that into consideration. I think more of us probably should, but I think a lot of us do, and so. You know, we're getting there, but I always think, you know, when you're teaching in a place, whether it's here or somewhere else, you need to be considering your students and what goes on in the place where you are. And there are a lot of a lot of things that I think we could probably have better, bigger conversations about on this campus.
0: Yeah, no, I I certainly agree. I think students would would be happy knowing that at least faculty members, I think, think about it, that there, there are faculty members that are aware and think about these things i think um, the food pantry i think is is it is definitely a wonderful resource and maybe it was a long time coming but yeah i'm glad to see that on campus um,
1: yeah and you know we never want to we never want to broach somebody's privacy in a way that it feels intrusive to them or feels like this faculty member knows way more about me than i wish they would so yeah. you know you want to you want to give people that space they're adults you know not all you know most faculty are not trained in any counseling capacity yeah um so a lot of people try hard or they want to try hard but they also they want to provide students with enough room that they don't feel like an invasion of of their own space and food is a really personal thing yeah you know (laughs) it's it's something most people you know it used to be people ate at home all the time. You know, we eat out a lot now. Um, we, we eat in our cars. You know, we eat on a bench out in front of this building. But, you know, food is, is personal. Food choices that people make are personal. Yeah. And not having enough food is extremely personal. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, it's a, that's a tough bridge to cross with somebody that you may not know particularly well.
0: Yeah. Wow. So a lot to consider, right? We've got our students. We want to do our, do the best that we can for our students, and, and you know, it, it's, I think as part of our teaching, it's it's kind of also just trying to be aware of some of those the issues that they might be dealing with that, that maybe doesn't allow them to fully participate in our class, but also it's that fine line of not not being so intrusive that you know we 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 cross that line of, of that personal space, the things that are incredibly personal to them. Um, and so it's difficult. It, it is a difficult, I think, act to, to be that attentive faculty member who's kind of aware of what your students are going through and aware of your students' needs, but then also respecting those, you know, that space. Um, and I know institutionally, we kind of have to think about that. But, but I'm glad that, that we do have that food pantry. Uh, Cynthia, do you want to add anything? Is there anything else that you want to add?
1: I guess, um, where can a student find the food pantry? if they are listening and would like to utilize those resources. So, I I know where it was previously. You know, things have moved around a lot. In the last year or so, things have moved considerably, but the last time I heard, um, the food pantry is in the building which at UTPA we used to consider the Student Services Building, but it's this one right next door. I think it's still there. Yeah, um, I think it's the um, university, university, university center. University center. On the yeah. first floor? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And on the Brownsville campus, it's in Cortezal. So we have two so campuses. Both, yes. camp- both, both campuses. Yes. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Okay. And students should also be aware, I don't know if it will happen, you know, right now, we're not in a growing season because it's still so hot, you know, September. But as as the valley gets into production mode, in the last couple of years, there have been some student groups who have used the university gardens that are on the Edinburgh campus they've used some of those plots to grow food that they sell on campus for affordable prices. Absolutely. So you can get things like carrots and kohlrabi and kale, um, and they'll even give you suggestions on how to make things. Uh, you know, Kale is one of those things people are constantly trying to figure out what they're supposed to do with it. <laughs> um, so the, you're always a quick Google away, by the way, from recipes that will work for food, and sometimes you can just do it if you have a single pan It doesn't need to be fancy, but you can um, make some basic things at home. And so if you look for the campus farmer's market um, on Edinburgh, they used to do it on Wednesday nights. I don't know what they'll do this year, but once things start growing, late fall, early spring, um, you can look for that as well. And if we've got students on benefits of any kind, if they have SNAP card, if they have the Texas EBT card, um, local farmer's markets will take those. So you can use those cards for things at the farmer's market that are fresh instead of feeling like you have to use them for uh, maybe packaged foods at grocery stores or convenience stores. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility. Um, so if you have any of those benefits, you can think about kind of planning ways to maybe use those for some things that will be healthy, uh, maybe a little more filling as well. Um, so those, those regulations and things change a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, those federal programs are always... Moving and shifting, and it can be kind of hard to stay on top of uh, what's allowable in WIC, for example, versus what's permitted by the state of Texas. Uh, And So as those changes take place, sometimes they are beneficial for folks to kind of stay on top of that a little bit. Um, One of the changes that happened fairly recently is about prepared foods. You used to not be able to use um, your card for food that had been prepared at a place like H-E-B. You had to wait until the rotisserie chickens were, if something like twelve hours old, and so you, yeah, this is a tr- This is, this was a real problem. So you had to learn these rules. Um, it wasn't just. I, a lot of people get the impression that using those is really easy, and you can do get, do whatever you want, and you know you get that stereotype of people buying lobster. The truth is, it's actually a lot harder than that. There are foods on the WIC program, Uh, so if you are pregnant or if you have young children at home and you qualify for WIC, uh, there's a very very specific list of things you can purchase with WIC, so there are other things that you can get with your Texas card, Um, and the rules about prepared foods are changing, so you may be able to get something like a rotisserie chicken. Those are actually pretty affordable. It's cheaper to buy one that they've cooked than it is to take it home and try to cook it yourself, which is a huge undertaking because you can use the bones for stock and broth. You can combine that into different meals. You know, you can make it into tacos, you can make it into sandwiches, you can put in a salad. It's one of those foods that will do a lot of different duties for you once you get it home. Uh, and so things like that are now starting to be included. So um, you know, if students have questions, I always encourage them to look it up. Um, usually there's an active list um, that will let you know what things are available and what things you qualify for. Um, and I you know I always tell students that most people who are using those programs use them very temporarily so if you feel dispirited about needing to qualify for those things you should know that most people who qualify for and use those really end up using them for maybe six to 12 months and then they don't need them anymore Um, so take it as a sign of encouragement and it's there as kind of a stopgap measure to help people who are struggling right now, and a lot of times those people don't struggle forever. Yeah, and so you know you can use them; they're there for people who need them, so that you don't go hungry. Um, and so you know it can be a little bit cumbersome to get involved in those programs, but it's well worth your time. It really is.
0: And I think that's a that's a valuable point. I mean, one is the resource, but then I think there there is that concern from students and from anybody who qualifies for that the sort of the stigma attached mm-hmm. to it. And so I think it's it's. Reassuring for students to know that, you know, the majority of the people on it aren't on it very long. Um, and so it, it is a, it is a um, sort of a safety net for people, mm-hmm. I think, and those that are going through those rough patches and certainly I can see that how it would be a, a great benefit to a number of our students. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, the gardens, the gardens mm-hmm. that we have on campus. Who is responsible for it? Like who manages or oversees the, the gardens on campus?
1: So those are run out of um, one of the science programs. The, there's a new program um, that is about agriculture and sustainability, and that is their space. But part of the deal was that if, if that space was created, some of it also was essentially flex space. So the student organizations um, and, and actually students in general, um, it's not all experimental. So while some of the university garden is being used for research work, um, you know, it, things that affect the valley like insects and drought, like you know, we're experiencing right now, obviously some of those are for that purpose, but some of it was intended to be general use. Um, so you can run through, um, I, would, I would tell them to contact Dr. Alex Rosselles. Um, he's my sort of contact person for the garden. And Alex, if you hear this and you are not the contact person anymore, just holler <laughs> at me. Um, but he's he's the person that I associate with the gardens here on this campus. And there's a, a whole program kind of dedicated to using that as part of their research space. Um, so that's where some of the farmer's market produce has been grown the last couple of school years. Awesome,
0: thank you. Wow, I was not aware of that. Wow, um, well. well I appreciate the time. I appreciate you coming in and joining us as we talk about food. Um, I don't have any other questions. I don't know, Cynthia, do you have any other questions? Um, Dr. Berg? any final thoughts, comments, or anything before we sign off? Hey,
1: I want to thank you for for the topic, especially, I mean, I'm delighted to be able to talk about it, but I think it's really great that you picked this as one of the topics for this first year podcast, because I know, you know, we throw a lot at students, especially the first year, there's a lot to learn, there are a lot of new kind of tricks of the trade, and like you said, there are a lot of new freedoms that come with being a college student, um, but we have resources here that are designed to help and faculty should always be a resource for you. That's part of the job, it's part of the gig and if you need something and you ask a faculty member and you don't get the help that you need, pick somebody else and try that person (laughs) next and work your way through your schedule Um, and always know that while I think a lot of faculty today, you know, we make kind of being here look easy, And everybody has hit a certain level of success once you're teaching on a college campus. But a lot of people who work here uh, have been in, you know, similar straits sometimes. We've got people who worked multiple jobs during graduate school, and we have people who are carrying a lot of student loan debt, for example, um, to earn their degrees. So a lot of folks you might run into uh, who are here who may look like they have it all together, have been where you are um, and might be able to find some common ground with you. So make sure you use all of the resources that are at your disposal.
0: Well, thank you. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, that concludes this this episode of the First Year Experience podcast. Um, and join us next week as we tackle another, uh, another topic uh, for, for our students out there. Uh, we'll see you next time.